Closing music. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us for another episode of our award-winning NPR podcast, I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Today, we took a deep dive into the world of website content encryption and explored the fascinating research on fuzzification-based feature selection for enhanced website content encryption by Mike and Congolo. We broke down the concept of fuzzification discussed how it enhances website content encryption, and delved into the methodology behind it. We also talked about the advantages and potential limitations of this approach and its practical applicability in real-world scenarios. As always, we aim to present complex topics in an intuitive and easy-to-understand way, so everyone could grasp the significance of this research. Absolutely. Jen. And if you want to learn more about this topic, don't forget to check out the resources we've included in the episode description. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you in our next episode. Stay curious. Listeners, closing music fades out. Are you tired of dining at the same old noodle restaurant where everything comes pre-packaged in? pre-shaped. Need a little excitement in your life? Well, we have the perfect solution for you. Introducing Wacke Noodle, the only noodle restaurant where you can whack your noodles into shape. That's right. Bring out your inner hulk and smash those noodles into your perfect creation. And the best part? You won't even need any utensils. So, come on down to Wacke Noodle and join the fun. This podcast brought to you by Wacke Noodle. Sponsored by noodles you get to whack into shape. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the award-winning NPR podcast. I'm Tom. And as always, I'm joined by my brilliant co-host Jen. How are you doing, Jen? I'm doing great, Tom. Excited to dive into another fascinating topic today. And today, we have a really interesting paper to discuss titled Comp Mix, a benchmark for heterogeneous question answering. It's written by Philip Christman, Rishraj Saha Roy, and Gerhard Wycombe from the Max Planck Institute for Informatics in Saarbrücken, Germany. That's right. Jen. This paper addresses the challenge of fact-centric question answering, where access to multiple heterogeneous information sources is crucial. The authors argue that existing question-answering benchmarks often focus on a single source of knowledge, limiting the evaluation of systems that can tap into multiple sources. Absolutely. Tom, and to bridge this gap, the authors introduce comp mix a crowdsourced benchmark that demands the integration of a mixture of input sources. This benchmark comprises 9,410 questions from five different domains, books, movies, music, TV series, and soccer. It features complex intents like joins and temporal conditions, making it a realistic and challenging test for QA systems. It's fascinating how CompMix includes various sources such as a knowledge base, 
text collection, and web tables to enhance the answer coverage and confidence of CAR systems. The authors also evaluate a range of CAR systems on CompMix, highlighting the need for further research on leveraging information from heterogeneous sources. That's right, Tom. And what's really interesting is how the authors analyzed the answer coverage and redundancy across these information sources. They found that different sources complement each other nicely, with the inclusion of all sources significantly improving answer coverage. They also observed answer redundancy, which can be leveraged by heterogeneous QA systems to boost confidence in their predictions. It's incredible to see how this benchmark pushes the boundaries of current car systems and sheds light on the importance of considering multiple sources of information. The author's contributions also include an in-depth analysis of the benchmark, the identification of complex phenomena in the questions, and an evaluation of recent heterogeneous car methods on comp mix. Absolutely. Tom. It's a benchmark that reflects real users' diverse formulations and idiosyncrasies, unlike many synthetic or narrowly focused benchmarks. And the fact that even state-of-the-art language models struggle to answer half of the questions in CompMix shows the need for further advancements in heterogeneous QA. Definitely. Jen. This benchmark is a valuable contribution to the field and it's publicly available for researchers to use and further develop their car systems for our listeners who are interested in exploring comp mix further. We'll provide a link to the benchmark in the episode description. That's right, Tom. So if you're fascinated by the world of heterogeneous question answering and want to learn more about comp mix and its implications, make sure to check out the paper by Philip Christman. Rishraj Saha Roy and Gerhard Wycombe from the Max Planck Institute for Informatics. And that concludes our introduction to this thought-provoking paper. We hope you found it as intriguing as we did. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes of our podcast, where we discuss the latest research and breakthroughs across various fields. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Hey Jen, do you ever wonder what magic smells like? Uh, I'm going to go with no on that one, Tom. Well, wonder no more because sponsored by Unicorn Farts Inc. Brings you the sweet smell of magic with each and every spray of our new fart spray. Wait, did you say fart spray? Yes, Jen, you heard right. Unicorn Farts Inc has bottled the elusive scent of unicorn flatulence for your personal use. So why smell like your boring old laundry detergent when you could smell like a mystical creature's? Tush. I'm not sure this is something I want to smell like. Ever. Well, too bad for you because I'm already spritzing it on. A. The sweet aroma of rainbows and glitter. This podcast brought to you by Unicorn Farts Inc. Because why smell like a regular human when you can smell like a magical creature? Welcome back to another episode of our award-winning NPR podcast. 
I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. And today, we have a fascinating topic to dive into. We'll be discussing a recent paper titled A Dataset of Coordinated Cryptocurrency Related Social Media Campaigns. That's right, Jen. Cryptocurrencies have gained tremendous popularity in recent years, attracting many new investors. And with this rise in adoption comes the potential for misinformation and manipulation, especially through social media. Absolutely. Tom, the paper focuses on a dataset that examines coordinated social media campaigns in the cryptocurrency space. These campaigns aim to create artificial hype around a crypto project in order to influence the price of its token. The dataset contains information about 15.8k cross-media bounty events, 185k participants, 10m forum comments, and a staggering 82m social media URLs. It was collected from the bounties, altcoins, subforum of the Bitcoin Talk online forum from May 2014 to December 2022. Throughout the episode, We'll explore the motivations behind these coordinated campaigns, the methods used to collect the data, and the potential research opportunities this dataset presents. It's important to note that these campaigns can have significant implications, not just for individual investors, but also for the overall cryptocurrency industry. Understanding how these campaigns operate and interact with their audience is crucial for researchers, regulators, and anyone involved in the cryptocurrency space. Absolutely. Tom. And as always, we'll strive to make this complex topic accessible and intuitive for our listeners. So whether you're an experienced crypto enthusiast or someone new to the world of cryptocurrencies, we're here to break it down for you. Get ready for an enlightening conversation as we explore the world of coordinated cryptocurrency-related social media campaigns. Stay tuned for the next episode of our NPR podcast. Hey there, Jen. Have you ever had a hankering for something salty and crunchy? I sure have, Tom. But sometimes chips and pretzels just don't cut it. That's why we always reach for squishy pickles, Inc. Wait, did you say squishy pickles? That's right. Squishy pickles, Inc. has been pickling pickles for over 50 years. But why are they called squishy pickles? Well, Jen, it's because these pickles are so darn crunchy and juicy. They'll squish in your mouth with every bite. That sounds interesting. But don't take our word for it. Grab a jar of squishy pickles at your local grocery store today. This podcast brought to you by Squishy Pickles, Inc. The squishiest pickles in town. Sponsored by Squishy Pickles, Inc. Where the crunch is king. Hello and welcome back to another episode of our NPR podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. And today, We have a really interesting topic to dive into. We'll be discussing a paper titled OptMSM, Optimizing Multi-Scenario Modeling for Click-Through Rate Prediction. Now, I know that sounds complex, 
But don't worry. We're here to break it down for you in an intuitive way. That's right. Jen. This paper tackles a challenge faced by large-scale industrial recommendation platforms. How to efficiently predict click-through rates for multiple associated scenarios using a unified model. In simpler terms, imagine you're on a website where you see different recommendations based on your interests. Well, this paper is all about how to build a model that can predict which recommendations are more likely to be clicked for each scenario. Exactly. Tom, the authors of this paper propose a novel framework called OptMSM, which stands for Optimizing Multi-Scenario Modeling. They address the problem that most existing approaches in multi-scenario click-through rate prediction focus on improving one module and neglect the other. This can lead to challenges like increased model parameter size, training difficulty, and performance bottlenecks for each scenario. Right. So, to overcome these issues, the authors introduce a simplified yet effective scenario-enhanced learning module. They partition the input features into scenario-specific and scenario-shared features, which are then mapped to specific information embeddings and a set of shared information embeddings, respectively, by imposing an orthogonality constraint on the shared information embeddings. They disentangle the shared information corresponding to each scenario and combine it with the specific information to obtain multifunctional representations. That's a mouthful, Tom. But essentially, they're finding a way to balance the importance of shared and specific information in predicting click-through rates across different scenarios and to improve performance even further. They introduce a scenario-specific hypernetwork in the prediction module, which captures interactions within each scenario more effectively. Absolutely. Jen, what's really impressive about this paper is that the authors conducted extensive offline experiments and an online A-B test to demonstrate the effectiveness of OptMSM. They show that their framework not only addresses the challenges faced by multi-scenario modeling, but also improves performance compared to existing methods. It's really exciting to see how advancements in machine learning and modeling techniques can be applied to real-world problems like click-through rate prediction. This kind of research has significant implications for recommendation systems used by popular websites and apps. Right. Jen. By optimizing multi-scenario modeling, we can provide users with more personalized and relevant recommendations, which in turn enhances their user experience and engagement. Absolutely. Tom. And that's all the time we have for today. We hope you found this breakdown of the paper OptMSM. Optimizing multi-scenario modeling for click-through rate prediction informative and intuitive. Join us next time for another exciting episode of our NPR podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jen. Thanks for listening. Hey Jen. Do you know what's one of the best things about having a mustache? I'm not sure, Tom. What is it? Getting free mustache rides. And now?
Our podcast is proud to be sponsored by Mustache Rides Inc. Wait, what? I don't think we can say that on the air. Relax. Jen. Mustache Rides Inc. is the premier provider of mustachioed transportation services. Their drivers are licensed and insured. With the coolest mustaches you've ever seen. I still don't know if this is appropriate. But wait. There's more. For a limited time. Mustache Rides Inc. is offering a special promotion where you can get a free ride if you have a mustache. I don't have a mustache, Tom. Well, then you can just pay half price. This podcast is brought to you by Mustache Rides Inc. Where your upper lip is the only ticket you need. Welcome back to another episode of NPR's award-winning podcast. I'm Jen, and I'm here with my co-host Tom. Today, we have an exciting topic to discuss, human activity behavioral pattern recognition in smart homes. With long-hour data collection. That's right, Jen. This topic combines advanced technology and data collection techniques to understand human behavior. Patterns within the context of smart homes. It's a complex topic, but we'll do our best to break it down in an intuitive and engaging way. Absolutely. Tom, now, before we dive in, let's give credit to the research paper that inspired this episode. It's titled Human Activity Behavioral Pattern Recognition in Smart Home with Long Hour Data. Collection by Ranjit Kolkar and Geetha V. From the National Institute of Technology Karnataka, India. In this paper, the authors explore the challenges in recognizing human activities within smart homes and propose a framework that combines deep learning models with a hybrid sensor approach. By utilizing ambient sensors like PEER, passive infrared, pressure sensors, and smartphone-based sensors like accelerometers and gyroscopes. They aim to derive more activities and analyze human behavioral patterns. That's fascinating, Tom. And the potential applications of this research are wide-ranging. It can be used in healthcare settings for monitoring patients, in user profiling for personalized experiences, and in elderly care to ensure their well-being. Absolutely, Jen. And what's really impressive is that the authors achieved an accuracy of 95% in recognizing basic activities using their framework. They also observed variations in human activity patterns depending on the day of the week. Which adds another layer of complexity to understanding human behavior. It's truly amazing. Tom, now let's delve into the methodology behind this research. The authors collected data using a custom-built mobile application and a set of sensors placed throughout the smart home. This data collection allowed them to create a dataset that represents various human activities within a real-life smart home environment. That's right, Jen. And to process and analyze this data, the authors utilized deep learning models such as multi-layer perceptron, MLP and long-short-term memory, LSTM, networks. These models help recognize patterns and make predictions based on the collected data. And let's not forget about the challenges they faced. 
Tom. Recognizing and understanding human activities within a smart home environment is a complex task. Different users have different variations in their activities and behavior patterns. That's why the authors had to incorporate user-specific information to optimize the recognition. Accuracy. Absolutely. Jen. This research truly highlights the power of combining advanced technology and data analysis. Techniques to gain insights into human behavior. It opens up new possibilities for improving healthcare, home automation, and many other aspects of our lives. It's an exciting time to be exploring the field of human activity behavioral pattern recognition in smart homes. We hope this episode has helped you grasp the complexity of this topic and appreciate the potential impact it can have on our daily lives. That's right. Jen. Stay tuned for more fascinating discussions on a wide range of topics on NPR's award-winning podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Hey, Jen. Do you ever get the urge to travel to tickle your toes on a new adventure? All the time, Tom. But where do we even start? How about with Tickle Toes Travel Company? They've got the best tickling packages in the world. Tickling packages? What's that about? Well, Jen, with Tickle Toes Travel Co., you can book a trip to tickle your toes in exotic locations like the beaches of Tickle Island or the ticklish mountains of Chile. That's ridiculous, Tom. I can't believe people would pay for that. But it's real, Jen. And it's affordable too. This podcast brought to you by Tickle Toes Travel Company. Where the tickling never ends. Sponsored by a company that tickles your toes. That's a first.